This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looks at me, smiled, he's never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are going to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes, and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. So, let's make a start and introduce today's guest. So, we have Harvey with us today, and this is Harvey's first time on the podcast. Welcome, Harvey. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You looking forward to chatting to Shane today? I am indeed. And... Are you looking forward to becoming part of the podcast presenting crew? Yes. What are you looking forward to most? Um, speaking to loads of people involved with sports because growing up I've done loads of sports and I just really look up to most people. Brilliant. Yeah, well, welcome and best of luck. I'm sure you'll be fantastic. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Join us today on the TWS podcast in former Wales rugby player. He has played 87 times for Wales and he and is Wales all-time record try score. Welcome to the podcast, Shane Williams. Thank you. Um, we'd like to start our podcast off with some quick fire questions, Shane, before we start about your rugby career. So the first question, regarding your rugby career, if there's one year you could go back to, what would it be and why? Uh, easy one for me, 2008. Yeah, uh, 2008 was probably my best year of rugby. Um, you know, a lot of things happened that year. After a poor 2007 World Cup being knocked out by Fiji, wasn't particularly good for us as Welshmen, but uh, the following year, 
Warren Gatland became coach and we went on and, and won the Six Nations. Uh, I had player of the tournament. I went on a, a, a good tour to South Africa and I came back and, and I was voted World Player of the Year. So that, that to me was just an incredible year that I'd, you know, if I ever had the opportunity to go back for a year, it would definitely be 2008. But uh, you know, we went on, won Grand Slams and won the league with, with the Ospreys. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? <laughs> uh, trade lives, well, it definitely wouldn't be Boris Johnson at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, God, I don't know. I probably, you know, I'd probably want to go back in time, really, and um, be someone like a Lewis Rees-Samit or a Josh Adams that are still playing, still within the squad, and still young and fresh. And you know, the world is their oyster, as they say. Um, it would also mean that I, I was in the Six Nations squad, preparing for a, a Six Nations again. So, yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd swap it with one of those guys. Um, especially the confidence those boys are playing with at the moment. Um, I remember being there and it gives me a lot of nostalgia when uh, when I see, you know, Lewis Rissamit doing what he did for Gloucester last week on the weekend. And uh, yeah, I'd love to go back and be that fresh and uh, fit again. <laughs> right, I'll move on to your, your rugby career now. So growing up, Shane, who were your sporting heroes and how did you get into rugby in the first place? Well, I, I got into rugby. Uh, I live in a... Well, a rugby village, so to speak, you know, where where the, the 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 rugby club is the is the heart of the town, where every every man, woman, and their dog has played rugby in some shape or form over the years. So, you know, I, I was always going to end up playing rugby um, and a bit of football as well because we've got a football club within the club and uh, within the town. Sorry, so yeah, I was just uh, I just fell into it really. You know, I every every day after school I'd go down the park with a football or rugby ball, just have a kick around. I'd go and watch my local team, Am United, play. And um, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. You know, I was a quite a busy kid and I thought something like this would really occupy my mind. And, uh, and you know, growing, in, growing up in Wales as well, you know, you're, you're always reminded of Welsh rugby and the legends of the 70s. And, uh, I think that's why Gerald Davis was one of my heroes. Um, not the biggest of, of rugby players, however, you know, he'd get stuck in. And I really admired that about him. And then after 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 um, Gerald Yeh and Evans came on the scene, and he was pretty much one of the only good players we had in Wales back in the eighties, <laughs> nineties. Unfortunately, um, and he was scoring all the tries for us. So um, yeah, he was he was a hero of mine. Is it right that you started your career as a scrum half? Scrum half. What made you move to play on the wing? Um, yeah, yeah, I was a. I started as a scrum half. Um, you know, in Wales, we got this tendency of of looking at someone and say and putting them in a position. Now, I was very small growing up, and um, uh, you know, the stereotype usually of a scrum half is a, the small, short player that has um, got a bit of a temper of him, like a like a Jack, little Jack Russell, and I probably fitted the bill. Um, but I didn't care. You know, I I enjoyed there. It meant I got involved in the game a lot, and I played it all the way through my junior level, I suppose, scrum, scrum half, but. Um, I joined Neath. Actually, I became a professional rugby player as a scrum half. Um, however, you know, I just felt that with my pace and, and my vision, I just I thought moving to the wing would be a good choice. And and the coach agreed. And and whilst a professional player, I I started 
you know, playing the odd occasion on the wing and I scored two tries on my first game for Neath on the wing. And I think the coach looked and said, look, yeah, I think we found the position for you. This is this is where you need to be. You're scoring lots of tries. You're enjoying yourself out there. And uh, and, I, and that's where it stuck. And within a year of doing that, I was a professional. Uh, I was a, sorry, not a professional, but I was um, an, an international rugby player. So yeah, it happened very quickly for me. What was it like to start your career at Neath? Yeah, um, very strange because I, I live in a Llanelli region, Scarlet's region. Um, I still do, actually. Um, so the majority of the people in my town were Scarlet's fans, Llanelli fans. And in fact, Neath were, were or are renowned for being one of the dirtiest sides that have played the game. <laughs> you know, they're always aggressive and big, strong, tough players over the years. So I didn't really pay attention to Neath until, you know, I was I uh, the coach Lynn Jones came and had watched me in a in a game for my local team, Man United. And when the offer came to go and train with them, I thought, oh my god, you know, are people going to be talking to me in the valley? Because it was, you know, you're going to the dark side almost. So, um, but they did; they were great, and and I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed my summer training there, and I was lucky enough to be to be offered a, a contract at the end of the summer. So. Um, and I didn't look back. You know, I loved my time there. There were some great players, um, great friends I've made up with over the years. And, you know, I started on the same day as players like Steve Tandy and Duncan Jones and, and these guys. And, you know, they're still my mates now. So, yeah, we had good times. And then, you, as you already said, you made your Wales debut quite quickly after that in 2000 against France and the Six Nations. What are your memories of making your Wales debut? Yeah, I just remember being... Uh, thinking to myself when I got selected for the squad, God, you know, I'm green. I, I've hardly played any, you know, senior professional rugby. Um, you know, am I going to be able to cope? Uh, what am I doing here? I had all the doubts you can imagine uh, for a young man just being thrown into an international team. But, you know, it didn't take long for me to start enjoying the training. And, and eventually, you know, I got I got selected on the bench against France. Um, I was absolutely petrified um, because... You know, I looked at the, the the team facing me, and there was players like Intermac, Emil Intermac, not Intermac playing now. His dad, that's how old I am. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and uh, Manier and Ibanez, Castanier, and I was thinking, wow, you know, I'm I'm going to be on the same field as these legends, and I was I was petrified. I, you know, if I'm honest, I didn't really really think I was ready. Um, but you know, as soon as I got on that field, I absolutely loved it, and. I loved the whole experience, apart from throwing an intercept pass to Emil Intermac. But, um, <laughs> you know, you live and learn. Um, but I was determined not to let it, you know, stop me moving on and, and progressing. And, you know, I started my, my next game against Italy the following week. So it's funny how these things kind of turn around and uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Playing in front of 70,000 people, knowing there was about 6 million people watching on telly. It was nerve-wracking, but at the same time, you know, it was giving me goosebumps and I loved it. So um, it was a brilliant experience. How did you, before the game, how did you cope with, because playing for Neath, you play in front of a few thousand and a few thousand watch on TV. As you said, to play in front of 75,000 at Millennium. How did you cope with that? And obviously you must be very nervous. Yeah, um, yeah, I was really nervous. I think, you know, I had to cope. It was as simple as that. You know, I was warned in training um, that, you know, it's very intimidating that you know, you're going to have the whole crowd there, your 
family's going to be in the stand somewhere. There's going to be people there that want you to succeed. There's going to be people that want you to lose. There's going to be people, you know, who are sitting on the fence but don't really know you. And I felt personally for me as well, there was a lot of pressure because, you know, a lot of people didn't want me in the squad because of my size, uh, the fact that I was very green and, and, and was I ready? So I had, I had to prove a point to a lot of people as well. So the huge pressure um, and I could feel it, you know, and every time I'd done a press conference, you know, they were on about pressure and would I be able to cope? And, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd go home and people were talking about, oh my God, you must be nervous. This is a huge game. So yeah, it, it did. It, it was very, very heavy, but, and I probably felt it right up to the point of, um, you know, getting on the field. And as soon as I got on the field, all the nerves kind of and all the pressure seemed to disappear. Um, and I just went for it and, you know, never looked back, really. I think sometimes it is it, things do get scary and, you know, you get intimidated and you, you think you're going to fail. But as long as you give it a go, then, you know, no one can really ask any questions of you. And that was my attitude. Steve Hansen then became Wales head coach in 2002. You read that you had a difficult relationship with him. Why was that? Yeah, well, quite simply, he dropped me from the team. Um, you know, I'd I'd played for uh, for Wales. I was selected in for Wales from Graham Henry in two thousand. I played a year of rugby. I was enjoying myself. I was an um, international player. I went and played sevens. I went on the tour. You know, and I was scoring tries, and I felt that I was doing okay. And then Steve Hansen came on board, like you say, two thousand and two. And pretty much decided that, um, you know, he wasn't. Go- I wasn't going to feature in in any of his plans because of my size and and because he wanted a larger player to play on the wing. And so, yeah, it's safe to say I, I didn't really like him particularly much at the start. <laughs> um, and and you know, he kept me out of the team for you know probably a year, year to year and a half. So it was very difficult. You know, you, you take it very personally because it is a personal thing. You know, and. I didn't quite have a voodoo doll of Steve, but if I could go, could have got my hands on one, I would have. Um, but you know, looking back, hindsight, you know, it's quite funny actually that the, the time that he did drop me made me go away and evaluate um, my rugby life, work on my game, work on things that perhaps I wasn't particularly good at uh, or not very strong at. And you know, my whole mindset was to prove Steve Hansen wrong. So I worked, you know, I went through a tough time at the start because I, you know, I tried putting weight on, I was taking supplements, I had injuries, and it was a vicious circle of just not being good enough, you know, not getting in the squad. And then when I did relax and just get on with things, um, things started to come together. You know, my defense was getting better. I put it, I was putting size on, but my pace was getting, I was getting faster then, um, and. And before you knew it, you know, I was I was in a position where I felt he couldn't um, drop me from the team anymore. And then I was selected to go to the World Cup as a third choice scrum half. Actually, how, how ironic is that? But um, but it didn't matter. I was there, and, and when I do look back, that was probably the period of my best period of my of my life, really, because I you know I, I got in the squad again, and I was I was playing good rugby and and became a very good player because of it. You went to the 2003 World Cup as a third yeah. choice scrum half and ended ended the tournament at Wales first choice winger. What are your memories of that tournament? Yeah, um, mixed memories actually. Um, 
yeah, like like I said earlier, you know, I I felt I was playing good enough to to be selected to go on that World Cup, and that was great. And I was very proud of the fact that I'd uh, made Steve eat his words on, so to speak. But you know, I had a lot of work to do. Uh, I wanted to be the first choice, and I wanted to get back on the field. And I think it was the first three games um, of the tour. I didn't play a second of rugby. I was on the bench once, uh, and I wasn't selected for the other two games. And you know that was very frustrating because I thought, you know, what's the point of bringing me on this tour if you're not going to play me? Um, you know, very expensive water by I suppose. But <laughs> um, but you know, I I dug in, I trained hard, and and I just thought, right, okay, wait, you know, bide your time, wait until you get this chance, and then go for it. And and then I remember we were playing the All Blacks, and we had a couple of injuries, and you know into the point where the coach was going around and and, and asking people to put their hands up if they were fit and ready to play the All Blacks because we'd already qualified for the quarters anyway. And um, I, I said to Steve, look, you know, I've, I've got to play in this game. I've got to, I've got to prove to you that I'm good enough. And um, that, that game for me was make or break against the All Blacks. Um, it was a great game. You know, it was, it was like 90-odd points scored in this game. It was, it was fantastic. And you know, I ran my socks off. I absolutely did. I, I ran to the point where I collapsed in the change rooms afterward because I didn't have nothing left. But that's what I had to do. And, um, you know, I scored a try. Wales played really well on the day and and we all gave it our best shot. Um, we fell short at the end, but it, it's it's gone down as one of the best rugby games at, at the World Cup. So, and after that, you know, it was, I felt that I'd done enough to, to get my jersey back. And I played against... Um, England in the quarterfinals and um, again I came away with a man of the match performance but again we fell short to an England team that went on and won the World Cup so but that was the turning point for me you know I felt that I'd done enough then to, to get my jersey back and it was all about keeping it and working hard. Wales won the first Six Nations Grand Slam for 27 years in 2005 what had changed in that Wales team from losing every game in the Six Nations in 2003 to winning the Grand Slam in 2005, besides from you getting in the team? Anything else that you think changed and made a big improvement? Well, I'd like to think that me getting into the squad made a difference, but um, I think it was just attitude. You know, 2003, we'd actually played, you know, like I said, now some good rugby in the World Cup, but 2003, 2004, uh, there was a lot of poor rugby. Um you know, we, I think we were, we were trying to find our way. We didn't really know the direction of of how the team wanted to play. We were good at attacking, but we were leaking tries. And and I think just 2005, we addressed it in the Six Nations. And, we, you know, with a captain like Alfie, and who had a never-say-die attitude and a good attitude within the players, we are, we felt we just, you know, we we had something special and we went on and... Uh, and did what we did. No one expected us to. And I think the rest of the teams in the Six Nations probably didn't expect us to. So that helped us as well. But yeah, we were just resilient. We, we you know, we went out there, we enjoyed our rugby, we played some great rugby ball in hand and we defended admir- admirably. And um, we we came away with a with a Grand Slam that no one, I don't think anyone would have expected us to, to win really, to be honest with you. But, you know, that's Welsh rugby for you. 2005, Sir Clive Woodward selected you in the British Lions squad to, to tour New Zealand. What are your memories of beginning select to play for the Lions and what was the tour like? 
Yeah, well, the, the, you know, to be selected for the Lions is a massive honour, and um, you know, for me personally, I, I was just happy the fact that I got got to play for Wales, and, and I knew, you know, I knew a lot about the Lions and, and their history, but that was, you know, that's something that you, it'll come if you're good enough. And I think when I got in the Welsh team, I never thought, right, I came in the Welsh team now, I'm going to get selected for the Lions. That never kind of computed to me I suppose and I just you know thought if I did work hard for Wales you never know what happens so yeah to be to be selected is 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 a massive honour uh, we were training in the in the in the barn in Cardiff when we were selected and you know it was great to have all the players around you and 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 cheering when you do but the tour itself was very very tough um you know whether or not we we had a, a good enough team to go and win in New Zealand I don't think so you know, New Zealand uh, are the best team in the world and certainly probably the toughest place to go on tour. Um, even the midweek matches when you weren't playing in the test side were brutal, uh, absolutely physical and 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 just energy sapping. And yeah, probably the toughest tour I've ever been on, to be perfectly honest with you. And obviously we went on and, and lost the series. But, um, you know, coming back from there, I was, I was massively proud that I'd been given the opportunity and, and enjoyed the experience, and the New Zealand people are fantastic as well. So to do all that, yeah, it was was great. Um, we actually spoke to Sir Clive Woodward a few weeks ago on the podcast, and we talked about this, the trip to New Zealand, and he mentioned that he thought the Lions was a distraction and he wasn't the right man for the job, looking back. Who do you, do you think he was the right man for the job at the time? And um, well, It's difficult to say. I, you know, I think if you look at... You know, if you'd have had a Warren Gatland or, you know, if I don't know, whoever, whomever uh, would have gone on that tour and uh, with the selection of selection of players he had, I don't think we had a strong enough squad, to, to be perfectly honest with you and blunt. We had a lot of experienced players there that, that, that um, you know, were probably not as, uh, as good as they were a year or two before. Um, you know I, what I what I you know what it was difficult I think and difficult for Clive is that there was a la- massive presence of um, uh, of press and um, paparazzi and making a big fuss of the fact that you know we we had a World Cup winning coach coming and, and and taking us to New Zealand but the team wasn't good enough and it just felt very political and I think Clive would probably agree to that himself and at times you know. You only you just had to realise that it was a rugby tour. You know, it didn't matter whether it was a rugby tour to Swansea Valley or the Ronvar or or France. It was a rugby tour, and and sometimes you you don't have to overcomplicate things. And I think we just overcomplicated things at times. But you know, when I look back at the whole experience, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I was a Lions player. I was in New Zealand. You know, where where the rugby is tough, and 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 people absolutely love it. And I was with a group of lads that you know I enjoyed being with and became very friendly with. And the whole experience of playing with players that you've only played against before is quite surreal. So to have that all that was great. But it, it look it was always going to be a tough tour, and I don't think it mattered pretty much to be honest with you, what what kind of coach we had um, uh, with us. Uh, I think I still feel that it, it would possibly have been the same result. Warren Gatland became the head coach of Wales in two thousand seven. What was he like and as a coach and how did he change Wales to make them successful? Yeah, he's look, he's a, he's a great coach and, and I think when you look at uh, his results and what he's done, 
over the years, especially for Wales. You know, we, it, it's hard to, to argue the fact, isn't it? But I think, you know, obviously he knows rugby inside out, tactically very, very good. He had a good group of people around him as well with uh, Sean Edwards and, and Rob Howley that, you know, don't take as much credit as possibly they should as well. But I think he just gave us belief. Um, when he came to the squad in 2007, just bear in mind again, we'd, we'd been knocked out of the World Cup by Fiji. Um, we hadn't played particularly well. And, you know, Warren grabbed the, the guys together and and started telling us about how good we were, that we'd underachieving, how individually good we were, how we you know, we were the best at, at this and that and, and what we needed to work on, you know, and and eventually he was he was saying, look, if we go up to to Twickenham, uh, um, we're going to win the World Cup, uh, win the sorry the Grand Slam, um, and and we were like, wow, this you know this this guy's either loopy, or he, you know he's got that belief in us and he thinks we are that good. And you know he, he trained us hard, he trained us specific to what we'd be doing in games, and he'd always remind us, you know, right, okay, let's be the best, let's be the best at at the things that don't require too much skill and, and little things like getting up off the ground when you're tired, you know, getting back in the line, rolling away, being disciplined, et cetera, et cetera, chasing kicks. And he just made us realise that rugby is a simple game. It's a fine margin between winning and losing. But if you put the effort in and we tra- and we play as hard as we train, you know, we're capable of big things. And when we went up and beat England at Twickenham, you know, our confidence just went through the roof because we thought, right, He's actually talking sense. We we are a good team. We can go on and do things. And you just look at what Wales have done. They win the Grand Slam eight and and doing well in World Cups, other Grand Slams and Championships. You know, we just fed off his off his kind of experience and um and and everything else that came with it. And the fact that you know that that he was able to teach us that was was great. And it just kind of fed onto the players. You won the Grand Slam again with Wales in 2008, also became Wales' all-time try score. How did you feel breaking that record? Yeah, look, breaking the record was was awesome. Um, I, I am, I was, I was there to, to score tries and, and hopefully help win games. And you know, that's that's a massive, that's a pressure, but it's a massive honour as well. And. Yeah, to, to to be able to do that against France in a way was huge um, for me personally. You know, to to go above players like Gareth Thomas and before that, Ian Evans, Gareth Edwards, the, you know, absolute legends of the game it was was great. And you know, I, I had mass I had massive pressure going into that game because I knew that you know if if I scored, I, I became the all time top try scorer. But also, it was a Grand Slam decider, so added pressure again. So um, when I did eventually cross that line. You know, I was hugely proud because we went on and won the game as well. And you know, when when you know you've won a Grand Slam, and and also personally for you, you've gone above Gareth Thomas as a top try scorer. You know, it's 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 amazing. It was an amazing feeling. And and like I say, that eight year for me, I just couldn't stop score um stop scoring, and I absolutely loved it. And then I went on to score more tries, and and hopefully I've set the stall quite high now for the likes of Zamet and. George North and Adams and these boys. So um, we'll have to wait and see if they can take it. <laughs> um, we also read, we were doing a bit of research yesterday. And is it true your your dad placed a bet when you were a child that you would become Wales' all-time try scorer and you managed to cash out quite quite a big big win? 
Yeah, well, that's the story. Um, when I was driving into the Millennium Stadium for the, uh, the, the, the Grand Slam decider, yeah, my father announced that, if, you know, not that there was enough pressure on me anyway, but announced that if, 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 I, did, uh, if I did score in that game, that he'd, he'd win a, a, um, a quite a few thousand pounds uh, from a bet that he placed years ago. So, yeah, that, I think, you know, what the, what the amount is, I'm still to find out. He still, still hasn't told me. Well, he's still sunning himself up in Barbados, maybe. But um, no, I, um, yeah, he did. And, uh, you know, that was great. Great that he had the confidence in me, but obviously better for him, I suppose, who, who, who did better from it. But uh, yeah, those are the, you know, typic, typical Welsh um, f- a mad fan, really, where, who phones me, you know, an hour and a half before the game. Uh, to say that if I do score, that I, he wins that amount of money. So, um, yeah, talk about pressure. You then toured again with British Lions in 2009 to South Africa. What are your memories of that tour? Yeah, uh, my favourite tour um, of any tour, really. I think you know, we had a great group, group of people um, uh, on that tour, you know, not only players, but management, coaches, uh, everyone else that comes with it, kit men, et cetera, et cetera. We had such a good good laugh on that tour. Um, hugely fond memories, apart from the fact we didn't win the series. Um, but, you know, we, we had such fun over there. South Africa is a fantastic place to visit. You know, we, we you know we got to do safari. We, we did things you can never imagine doing. And, you know, as a player, I love the whole experience and, you know, it still stings sometimes that, you know, we didn't win the series, but that's that's life. You know, I don't dwell on these things. Uh, you just pick yourself up and you get on with it and, and just worry about the experience. And, you know, I'll always have the fact that I did that too. I'll always have the fact that I made some great friends in that tour and bumped into some old heads, supporters out there that I haven't seen for a long time and came back relatively happy and, you know, thankful I played in the third test and scored the two tries and, and I had play of the game. However, you know, still stings a little bit that we didn't win, but win the series. But that's rugby for you. But what a place to tour. My favourite by far. So you've been on three Lions tours. How do you find it? Because like a few months earlier, you're you're tackling and smashing lumps at each other. And then you all come together and as a team. How do you find it? Did you Was it easy or was it quite difficult at times? Um. I think you know once once you've done a tour, it gets easier. You you pre you know you by your, by two thousand nine, especially I'd made friends with a lot of the players that were going to be on the tour with me. You know, having played against them uh, after the games, got to know them. Whether it be just you know having a coffee or a beer, or or just meeting them, you know, through their rugby life. Um, so I got used to by your nine or five was was strange because I was still relatively new to the game. You know, I, uh, players like Johnny Wilkinson who. I, you know, some of the best players that played the game, Jason Robinson and, and players like that, I was a fine, I've always been a big fan of, you know, t- so so playing with them for the first time and sharing, you know, sharing rooms and, and going out for a coffee or whatever, it was quite bizarre. But you soon get used to the fact that, you know, these are, they're human beings, they're normal, they're just like you, you know, they've got the same pressures you have. Of course, they're just representing their country when you're playing against them. So, you know they're not going to be the friendliest. Of course they're not. You know that's that's life. But you know when you when you get to know them, they they they're top guys, and um, you know and, and I'll always have that. You know they're still good friends with the likes of 
you know, Brian O'Driscoll and Johnny and 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 Jason Robinson and Simon Shaw and these boys, because you know, you you put that jersey on and you become one. And it might sound corny and cheesy, but it's it's true. You know, you you became the you become the same team and you go out there and do do whatever you can for each other. Um but yeah, it, it it's, it's it can be quite strange at times, but you soon get into the fold and you soon get into the mindset that look, we're doing this for each other. The Henshaw's Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You went to the World Cup in 2011 to New Zealand. Wales uh, came so close to reaching the final, losing 9-8 to France in the semi-final. What are your memories of that tournament? Um, yeah, a, a good tournament in the sense that you know we we were confident. We felt that uh, you know we we were definitely a, a team that was capable of winning the World Cup. The confidence was through the roof. So, you know, really enjoyed the World Cup. New Zealand, again, like I said earlier, is a great place to, to kind of tour and do these tournaments. But, yeah, the, the semi-final was like a kick, kick in the guts, i got to be honest. Um, you know, we, we still now, you ask any of those lads, we still believe that if we'd have won that game, we'd have won the World Cup. That's how confident we were. So, to lose in that fashion, you know, with Sam getting sent off and only losing by a point and... You know, having missed a couple of kicks, it's it's tough. It is tough. It is one of those rugby moments that'll always be with me. It'll always sting, um, and you know, it'll always make me think, "What if?" And I think it's the same for for the the rest of the lads as well. So yeah, um, it, that one was tough. The World Cup was great. We should have we should have gone on and and done bigger and better things. But again. You know, you hear me say this a few times. That is life, and that's rugby life. And um, you know, I think when when I'm ninety or eighty or on my deathbed, wherever it was, whatever it is, I always remember that day. Um, and it, but I'm fond memories as well. So getting to that semi final was great. We had to work hard, some big wins. But yeah, you know, but you, one team has to lose, unfortunately, at that stage. So in the last previous couple of World Cups, Wales have done very well and reached the semi-final. In the last World Cup, they lost to South Africa in the semi-final. What do Wales need to do, if if anything, to try and break that, get to the final and just, if possible, go on to win it? Is there anything that they need to, need to do more? Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? It's a fine line when you get to those stages, winning and losing, like 2011 proved, really. And I think so, sometimes... Um, you know, it's all about confidence. You know, Wales have got you know got to semi final um, uh, only only a, a number of times and and have just fallen short. And I think a lot of it is confidence. Definitely was with us in 2011 because you know we lost a player early on in the game and we just looked at each other and thought, how are we meant to beat this this French team with just 14 men? Um, but when you get to that the, the semi finals or quarterfinals, it's just about playing for that 80 minutes, giving it your all. And, and like I say, fine line between winning and losing. And I think 
you know, for Wales to get to that stage is a bit of a bit of a voodoo on them at the moment because we, we we get so far and then we, you know, seem to come unstuck against South Africa most of the time. But at the same time, I think they need to realise that they are a team good enough for, uh, and potentially good enough to win the World Cup. And if you've got that mindset, you know, you can go all the way. I think it's as, as, as simple as that, really. Um, so fingers crossed for the next one that we can get past Let's at least get to a final. See how it goes. Um, I think as well. I don't know if if it's just you, but I think you hold a pretty good record of um, your last touch as a club player and last touch as an international player. Um, you both scored a try in the last minute. So coming on to retirement, how did you did you feel the time was right to retire from international rugby? And how good was it to score with your last touch of the game? Yeah, first of all, I you know I I knew. I could potentially, looking back, I could potentially have played for another year, maybe. Um, and then who knows, I could have had a nasty injury or, you know, I could have been dropped from all teams and, and finished on a low. And so, so retiring was, was a decision I, I made before, you know, I, I, I had to do it really, I think. Um, and I, you know, I stick by my decision. Um, but, it, it, unfortunately, it's it's a time where you know you have to do it when uh, you have to do it, and you dread doing it. But after I did it, I realised right, okay, you need to move on and do better, bigger and better things, hopefully. Um, but yeah, but to to score in, you know, certainly to to score in my last match for Wales was was a huge honour because you know we we I hadn't touched the ball much in the game. I knew it was my last time playing, and it was in front of a home crowd, a sellout crowd, and my family were there and friends. So that was that was huge. That was massively humbling and, and one of the best experiences of my life, um, definitely. But and and yeah, so a huge honour and to do it for for the Ospreys as well against you know knowing that 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 was the, my last professional game against uh, a Leinster team at their home ground to win the the league. Um, yeah, was great. What a way to to bow out, really. Um, you know, to score two tries in that final and score one right at the death there for Dan to kick to to kick it from the touchline. Yeah, huge. So, you know, I talk about the the times that hurt and the bad times, but you know, I I can't be greedy. I've got some good times to to look at as well and and those being it. You went to the twenty thirteen Lions tour and as a competitor but as a commentator. Commentator, but ended up being called up to play a game. What was that like for you to commentate, commentate, and then play? <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, bizarre, I suppose. Um, yeah, I was going, I was living in Japan at the time, and um, I, I was just about to board a plane to to uh, to Australia. And Robert Howley mess- uh, phoned me and said, um, "Would I be able to play against the Brumbies for the Lions because they had a couple of injuries?" and yeah, you know, I, the first thing I said was, look, Rob, I, I'm getting on a plane. I don't have any boots. I have no kit. I have no gum shield. And they said, look, we'll get it all ready for you. We're playing tomorrow night. Um, just just make sure you're, you're fit and ready to go. So, yeah, quite bizarre. Um, I had to pinch myself when I when I got into Brisbane after a long flight thinking, did did Rob actually phone me? But, yeah, to, you know, again, just to have, have that chance of, of putting the jersey on and Running up to a full crowd and you know have a Lions jersey on my back was uh, was a huge honour and you know I, I gave it my all but I'd been out of the game for for a year and a half and and it was tough but 
you know, still did okay. We lost the game, unfortunately, but um, enjoyed my whole experience. Enjoyed as well catching up with the lads. But after the game, then um, you know, I, I had the phone call from Talksport saying, "You make sure that you you're not in that test team because we need you to commentate." So, um, and that was the case as well. But what a what a great tour! What an experience to, to turn you know land as a rugby player and then go home as a as a uh, well, so I suppose have the time there as a pundit and a commentator and then go home as a as a Lions fan. Um, yeah, it was was great as a successful Lions fan as well. So it was a good tour. So after maybe a possibly a tough start to your Wales career um, in uh, the team, you ended as Wales' all-time try scorer. So looking back on your career, um, how would you look back on it and reflect? Um, yeah, but a bit of a roller coaster, really. Um, and I think that's something you know my career almost sums up Welsh rugby. You know, one minute you're down in the doldrums, and then you're winning grand slams, and then. You know, yeah, you, there's you know wooden spoons being thrown about, and then you're winning grand slams and championships and um, and lions tours. Ah, oh, look, it's it's just been an absolute roller coaster. I think um, there's been tough times. There's been really tough times where you know even contemplated giving up rugby. You know, it was that low at times. But you know, I've uh, I've won championships with the with the Ospreys. I've I've won Grand Slams. Uh, I've been on Lions tours. I played for the Barbars. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's just been a blast, and I wouldn't change a thing. Even you know, even the times where perhaps I I, I was down in the, uh, down in the doldrums, or um, I felt like things weren't going my way. Those are the times that that make you the player you are. So. I think my career was just, you know, um, like I say, roller coaster that I've really enjoyed being on. To be honest with you, and you know, I look back and and look at some of the things that I've achieved personally and as a team. I'm massively honoured. And if I'd have gone back and and tried to change things, would it ever have gone the way it did at the end? In the end, for me, I doubt it very much. So, you know, I'll keep it as it was. What what is your opinion on the current situation with regional rugby in Wales? Could more be done to improve the quality and get more fans into the stadiums? Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. I think a, a lot of work needs to be done. Um, yeah, I think if as soon as uh, we found out when we with the Ospreys, you know, when we were a relatively successful team, you know, the fans would come because because the Ospreys are doing well. They're good players within their squad. We we were you know winning games in Europe. Uh, we had a couple of uh, superstars in the team, you know, um, that the players uh, that the supporters enjoyed watching train and play, and and it was good. And and I think it was a success at the start. And I think um, yeah, with 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 the with the regions at the moment, I think we do need to look at uh, recruitment and and how we look after our young players and bring them through the system. Because we, you know, we haven't got the luxury of, you know, the the tens of millions of players, perhaps England and, and Ireland have to choose from when it comes to youngsters coming through the ranks. You know, we, we we've got some good players coming through, but probably not as many as you know you see coming through the uh, conveyor belts of you know Leinster and Munster and and Exeter and Saracens, etc. Um, so yeah, we. And it does need a reshuffle. We need to look at it because end of the day, the players want to be playing well. They need to be successful, um, and they want supporters there. 
because you play better when you're you're playing in full crowd. So there's a lot of work to do, I think, regional level. Um, I think it will be uh, will come eventually, but at the moment, yeah, it's not looking particularly good in the regions. You know, a couple of big wins on the weekend for the Ospreys and uh, uh, and the Blues against you know the two teams doing well in the URC, but. You know, we don't need these one-off wins. We need a bit of consistency and good players coming through, and and then we can say it's a su- success. Um, we read an article you did, I think it was last year, about player safety and, and head injuries within the game. And I wanted to ask, as we talked to Alex Popham as well on the podcast, um, been diagnosed with dementia since he's retired. Do you think more needs to be done to improve player safety and especially around head injuries? Um. Yeah, I think more needs to be done, but I think we are, we are, we are doing more. Um, yeah, I did, I did the program because I felt, um, you know, I know these players that we're talking about. It's not, you know, we're not talking about, you know, people fifty, sixty years ago. These players were Steve Thompson, um, obviously Alex, Alex Popham, and and the like of players that I played alongside and played against, and and I know very well. So, you know, it comes into your in, into the foreground, doesn't it? When when these players are are your friends, really. But um, I think we are starting to do it. Obviously, the the Head for Change charity and the awareness there is it's uh, it's getting people talking and thinking and, and getting things moving forward. You know, head, head injuries, uh, head head injury assessments, HIAs as well. More and more has been made of that. Doctors and physios are in charge of the players far more now, whereas they were kind of kept away. Um, during training and in games, and and of course the the laws have come in where you know there's no head contact, and it makes my blood boil. People are saying, "Ah, oh, rugby's gone soft." Mm-hmm. Well, these people who say that they're dare you to go on the field and play against some of these players for eighty minutes, uh, even you know with legal tackles, tackles around the waist and legs and and the gut area. Because you know I could tell you one thing: it's 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 not nice. So um, you know the game is being made safer. I think you know we have a lot of work to do. Uh, but I think we are moving in the right direction, thanks to the likes of Pops and uh, and Tomo and, and the rest of it. So um, it'll only get better. And um, you know, we are we, we're seeing less and less cards. You know, we're seeing red and yellow cards now. But but I think we're even seeing less and less of those now because players are trying to keep the, their tackle safe and keep players safe. Um, and 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 that's good to see. You have a coffee business with some of your Welsh teammates. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, um, Fab Four Coffee. We we started it during lockdown, um, almost like a lockdown project, like a lot of people have done, really. But um, um, it's myself, Mike Phillips, Lieber, and James Hook. We we've always been uh, very close, and we've always been someone that would, uh, you know, love to go out for a coffee, whether it be on a tour or or, or back home in training or on the Welsh camp. You know, we'd always be looking looking for the perfect coffee, I suppose, going to these coffee shops. And it was a great time to, you know, to unwind and have a chat and, and just chill out. And when we all kind of went our separate ways and, and I went to Japan, boys went to France, England, we kind of lost that. We lost the those times where, where we, you know, it would be our getaway, I suppose, to forget about rugby and just have a, a chat about everything. So, yeah, we decided to, why not start our own coffee company then? And, you know, try to get that perfect coffee out there and it would give us an opportunity as well to kind of meet up again once the lockdown was over to, you know, discuss the business and get the coffee out nationally. And 
and that's what we've done. You know, we've grown it. We're, we're just over a year now into the business. It's going really well and it gives us an opportunity to have a catch-up and a chinwag about the good old days and, and have a coffee at the same time. So, yeah. It's uh, it was good. It's good fun. It is good fun. It was a good good startup, and hopefully now it'll be a success. And Resway you talked a bit about your kind of personal difficulties since retiring from the game. How have you found retirement, and have you found it difficult? Yeah, re- retiring was hard. Um, I'm quite an active person, so you know, before I retired, I thought oh, it'd be nice to. You know, just sit around, do nothing for a while, and 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 chill out. But that didn't last very long. Um, you know, giving up rugby was very very tough, and uh, it was something I, you know, if I could have, I'd have gone on forever doing. But um, you know, you got to be realistic, and life after rugby is tough because I spent so much time training hard and and working hard to be a, a good rugby player. That when you retire from rugby, you don't need that anymore. Um, you know, so you've you've got to kind of learn new trades and new skills, and you know, I, I've I've kind of been lucky in the sense that I've had the chance to start other businesses and 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 do a lot of TV work and and still stay within the game in that sense. But I I miss it. I miss it terribly. Um, I miss physical training. I miss being with the lads. So, you know, for me, I, I started doing running and and cycling and swimming, and I got into the triathlon game and. Um, Again, the, the train quite hard with that. Keeps my mind ticking. Keeps me my my fitness ticking over as well. And I get to to compete against hundreds, well, hundreds or maybe thousands of people in these events. And and at the time as well, raise money for for charity, which I like I like to to do as well. So um, it was hard at the start. I still find it difficult that I'm not playing rugby. But you know, you need to move on. You you know, we've you've got. Plenty of years in you yet, so in, enjoy every single second of it. I'd say, and and do the things you enjoy doing, and and do it with a smile on your face, and you'll be fine. Thank you so much for talking, taking the time to chat with us today, Shane. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have an opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Pleasure, guys. Thank you very much. So, Harvey, Shane's just gone. Congratulations on your first podcast. How do you think it went? I think it went really well. It was my first time. It was quite nerve-wracking, but I not it. You did. You did really well. What was your favourite bit of the podcast? I think maybe when he was talking about his coffee, because... Do you like coffee? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, me. So, hopefully, we'll have a look at his coffee and maybe we'll try and get some, get some for when we do a podcast next. Absolutely. So, Harvey, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Yep, hopefully we'll get you back in at some point. And um, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs> the TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.
Social Podcast Network.